Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. We got a hell of an episode for you today on the show. 158 is the episode number, and Lane Riggs is our guest. You may be saying to yourself, that sounds like a good old stock car short track racer name. And you'd be right, because Lane Riggs is one hell of a short track stock car racer. He is the son of Scott Riggs, who had a bunch of time in NASCAR, specifically in the Cup Series, driving that number 10 car for a lot of the time for Evernham Motorsports. We're going to hear about his upbringing, Lane's that is, with Scott as his dad, why he didn't get into racing until after his dad got out of it, and so much more going on in the here and now. The reason I wanted to have him on is because he had a hell of a debut in the truck series this past weekend at IRP. Finish in the top 10, seventh place in his first ever truck start? That is warranted to come onto the show. And Lane did that with me this week. Really happy that he was able to carve out some time to chat with me. Before we get to that chat with Lane, we got to throw the Wayback Machine on number 58. I know it's been slim pickings, Papa Siegel. What do you have cooked up for us this week? Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 158. These 50 numbers are killing me, Smalls. An unimpressive 134 starts for the 58. Only three numbers have less. At least there was one win for the car. That came in 1962 to Johnny Allen at Winston-Salem. Beyond that, not much to talk about. Last week, we had the Xfinity Series and Jason Keller to bail us out. No such luck this week. So, what to do? Fear not. When this segment of the podcast is in doubt, you know where we look. Kachiga! Billy Oil Changer drove the orange octane gain number 58 machine in the Cars movie. Like so many others, he too competed in the Dynaco 400 race at the Motor Speedway of the South. Oil Changer was among the leaders of the race when Chick Hicks Kachiga! Kachiga! caused the now infamous accident that took out the majority of the competitors. Oil Changer wasn't one of them, though. Instead, he made the inexplicable decision to stop on the track in front of the carnage in front of him. He and Claude Scruggs exchanged some nervous laughter before getting hit by the other cars coming through the mess. Oh, well. It's been said that Billy Oil Changer's dream was to become a racing color commentator when he retired. So much so that he regularly was heard practicing his announcing out loud while racing, which the other drivers found quite distracting. Fabulous. Well, we're almost through with the 50s, thank God. At least we're saving the best for last. Doof. I think you're going to want to alert a certain colleague of yours at SiriusXM to listen in to our look back at number 59 next week. Back to you. Thank you, Dad and Mom. I, can, I cannot help but just giggle and chuckle whenever I hear my mom do the kachigas. And also, Dad and Mom, if you're listening, I did hear my dad kind of snap at my mom because this is exactly what happened. My dad calls my mom over. She, he goes, hey, I'm going to need you for a kachiga. She's like, all right. She says the kachiga, she starts walking away. She forgets she has more to do. So then you hear my dad clapping in the background or snapping in the background and she went back for more. So thank you, mom, for being dedicated to the craft. Thank you, dad, for digging deep in your suitcase of courage and in the Wayback Machine this week. And uh, I saw there was a trailer for a new car series on Disney Plus coming out later this fall. I don't know. I'm in for that if it is what I think it is, so. Anyways, I digress there. And yes, I do know who we're going to talk about next week for the Wayback segment, Dad. You helped me with that because I did not know who at first. But I will alert my colleague, Pistol Pete Pistoni, because something tells me it's going to be about his Uncle Tiger Tom. 
just a guess. So we'll have to tune in next week to see what that's all about. All right, let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old-fashioned and throw it straight over to our chat with Lane Riggs. He's a late model ace. He's a second generation racer, and he had one hell of a truck series debut at IRP this past weekend. As a precursor, I know as is the case in this 2022 Zoom Teams video conferencing world, Lane was having some connection issues, nothing major, but there's just maybe some gaps in the conversation when you're like, uh, was there supposed to be something there? Odds are, yes, his connection was just a little bit spotty at the race shop and cut off towards the end, but I clean that up at the end for you, so no worries there. Lane is a really, really interesting dude. Super, super interesting for a multitude of reasons. He's had a lot of experience on the late model scene, Cars Tour, Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series. He chats with me about why he decided to go the latter route for this year in hopes of getting noticed a bit more on the NASCAR side of things. Plus, he's gonna be in the truck for Richmond in a couple weeks for Hallmar Friesen Racing. That's gonna be his second truck series start of the year. And he's hoping he can have another really strong showing to hopefully parlay that into a full-time truck ride for next year or the Xfinity series, you never know. Or the Cup series, hey, shoot for the stars, as Lane would say. Again, second generation racer, son of Scott. That's how you know the last name, but you're gonna get to know the man with the first name. Lane Train coming at you. Here's my chat with driver for Halmar Friesen Racing in the truck series. He's the points leader in the weekly series right now, potentially on his way to a championship, Lane Riggs. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, a name that you may not have heard too much from in the past couple years, but you are going to hear a lot from him in the next few, and you probably heard it a lot this weekend at the Indianapolis Raceway Park out at IRP. It is Lane Riggs on the heels of his first career truck series race, First career truck series top 10. My goodness, man, you had yourself a hell of a weekend. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. It was, I feel like I'm still living the dream. It was it, an amazing experience considering what we went through and qualifying and having that bad pit stop, went a lap down. I, I think I didn't get back on the lead lap till about 65 to go. Yeah. Came all the way back up and you know, was running with the playoff guys right there in the mix on TV. It was, uh, it was amazing. Yeah. I, the best way I could describe it after the race was that uh, I, I felt like I belonged to be in that series and I deserved to be there. So if I could just you know stay there and get my sponsorship and you know stay with Elmar and, and trick Bruce and all, it'd, it'd be amazing to run full time. That's great that you felt like you belong there, and I find that interesting because I read in a press release before the race. You know, you said if if we could finish top ten, I feel like that'd be a good goal. Easier said than done for a multitude of reasons. It's the first time the trucks are back at IRP. It's the playoff opener. You got a hell of a lot of veterans there. And oh, by the way, it's your first ever start in the truck. So getting to top 10, I feel like was a bit of a lofty goal. But clearly, my friend, you smashed that one out of the park. Yeah, for sure. I, I always set my expectations high. And, you know, I, I feel like even for me, I said top 10. I was like, yes, yeah, that's, that's pretty low. 10th place, that means nine other guys finished in front of me. So. <laughs> uh, every race I go into, I, I, I try to win the race. And, you know, if I, if I don't win, I'm never truly happy unless we win. But, right. uh, you know, I, I feel like I might be called a Kyle Busch for, for saying that, having his <laughs> expectations. But uh, you know, always striving to be better. So uh, just so proud of everybody at Hallmar and uh, you know, Trip Bruce and Stuart for giving me the opportunity. Uh, thank you to, to Per Your Tank Lines, Infinity Communications. They came on board to – you know, some, some local people that have, have backed me for a long time in late model racing finally gave me my opportunity. So, uh, so thankful to them and, and what they were able to do for us. And, you know, we're going to go run Richmond in two weeks. And, you know, that's a track that a lot of people have been to. It's not, it's not a new track, but uh, yeah. I think the simulation time with me and Toyota and, and uh, Trip being there a lot and having a lot of experience, that track will help a lot. But uh, I'm excited. Richmond looks like an awesome, fun track. And, you know, almost one of my home tracks besides Martinsville being the right. closest one to us. So, uh, super exciting! I got a lot of friends and family that are super stoked and excited for me, and uh, they're all. I'm gonna have a big lane rig section there at, at Richmond, so <laughs> I hope I can perform the same way. That'll be awesome to see. All right, so so Richmond in a couple weeks. Didn't know that was happening. Congratulations on that deal. It's gonna be cool to see. Any other races for the rest of the Truck Series season? I know it's the midst of the playoffs here, but you gonna be in the truck for any more races besides Richmond coming up? No, the the, the plan right now was uh, we set up a couple months ago was just to run IRP in Richmond, just two short tracks and you know i wanted to run martinsville earlier in the year but just you know didn't quite get the deals worked out and get the mm -hmm. 
get all the opportunities, you know, lined up, but uh, the stars aligned and everything was there. You know, we were talking about it. You talk about IRP being being new to everybody except crafting in the field. Uh, I think that was great for me and you know, being a short track racer myself, uh, it felt like I fit right in and it was yeah. I was in my element. And at the same time, the people were watching on the network and everybody loves IRP. It's one of the racist tracks that anybody goes to. You know, it's a short track racer's dream having a track you can run anywhere on the racetrack and still be fast. So uh, super fun. I, I love the racetrack. You know, I love being in the trucks. And you know, like I said, that's something I hope I can do every day of my life, hopefully in the upcoming years. I, I don't know if you're the best person to ask this question, but you know, the truck series going back to IRP, it had the old school feel to it with the trucks at a short track on a, on a Saturday night, right? It felt, or Friday night, I guess it just felt like how things are supposed to be. And I know that again, you don't have the experience running in NASCAR's top three series in the truck at, you know, a mile and a half or a super speedway. But did you get the type of vibe from that race on Friday night that, you know, it was different, but it was a good different for everybody in the field and all the fans in the stands too? I think so. And I think that NASCAR and everybody involved in the sport is seeing that, you know, the fans want short tracks. It's what this sport was built on. And, you know, early 2000s, in late nineties, we went away from that. I mean, I think the start of that was leaving Wilkesboro, which we're going back to uh, in, a, in a few weeks, the late models right. are going to be racing at Wilkesboro. So, I mean, I think everybody is starting to realize that the sport took a turn for the worst, trying to get too big for itself. We need to go back to our roots, run at these short tracks. They put on the best shows. So, you know, so what, we only got this many people in the stands, but you probably had twice as many people watching on TV just because it's good racing. It's what we all want to see. So you know, it brings the grit out, and, and and a good example of that was this past weekend. It was it was funny because uh, none of the haulers were inside of the in the infield, and uh, the other drivers were complaining about it. You know, like man, my, I don't have my lounge, my trailer, and I don't have this, that, and the other. And I'm like, man, this is what I'm used to. I sit up under the umbrella with a fan on me in the pits, wait for my race to right. start. Uh, you know, it, it was a perfect race for me to come into as my first race because it was just an easy transition, and if anything, it was weirder more normal and felt like I was in my home for me. So uh, I think it was a great first race to have. And it went, it went just like I expected to, and if anything, a little bit better. What did, uh, what did Stuart and trip and, and your dad too, what did they say when you brought the truck home in one piece after a whirlwind night inside the top 10, were they even a little bit surprised over there? Like, yeah, we knew we could do it. Well, they were all very surprised. I, I think that, you know, with, with past, past drivers and stuff, you know, it didn't quite turn out like they wanted to. And, you know, me coming in there, I feel like I gave really good feedback. And um, I know Stuart talked about it that, you know, he said that my feedback helped his program and his truck for the weekend as well. Uh, just we, we weren't that great in practice and, you know, finally kept talking to Trip and all the crew chiefs and me and Stuart got together and we talked about our trucks. We were having the same issues for both of us and we came up with a game plan on how to make it better. So, you know, I think having two drivers, me and Stuart, both that can collaborate and two mm -hmm. crew chiefs, John and, and Trip, uh, John being Stuart's crew chief, you know, being able to collaborate and have two competitive race winning trucks at the track helped both of us. So, uh, yeah, we were we were super excited. I got out of the truck and, uh, you know, Stuart passed me in the last corner. I wanted to finish in front of him so bad. Uh, <laughs> that was just, you know, a little bit of rub in the face and, uh, you know, feel like it definitely feel like I deserved to be there. But. Uh, okay, I went over to him and he hugged me. He's like, I'm so proud of you. You did an awesome job and all that. So it was, it was really cool to see uh, even your competitors that night were coming to congratulate me saying that, you know, they were really impressed with, with my performance. So uh, just huge confidence booster for me. And you know, like I said, I'm, I'm just ready to go back. Boss man just had to get that one up on you, didn't he? He did. He should have. He's got the experience in the in the truck series and in the truck. Yeah. He should have He should have finished in front of me. So yeah. it, uh, I'm just glad that I was right there with him in the mix. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'm kind of burying the lead here because, yes, you made waves with your truck debut, but, oh, by the way, on No Sleep, you truck it over to Dominion the same weekend, put her on the pole, and you put it in victory lane there in the late model. So you finished seventh in the truck, and then you won, which you're accustomed to doing in the late model, on No Sleep from the pole. So it's not like you forgot what you do during the week either. <laughs> It was, it, let's just say I didn't recover from my sleep until yesterday. I slept till <laughs> it was almost nighttime yesterday. It was, it was rough. We, uh, yeah. uh, we got, we, we flew back from Indy into Statesville, got there at two o'clock. Um, luckily had the guy on the team that he's a night owl. So he came and picked us up from the airport, drove us back to our house here in Bahama. Uh, luckily me and dad got to sleep on the way home. Uh, got here, took a shower, got to sleep about five, had to wake up at six thirty the next morning, 
and go drive to Dominion. Uh, so yeah, we what about you know two hours, a little bit over two hours in the car and of sleep and uh, and yeah, before the race started, at Dominion, you know, adrenaline's still going at the racetrack. You're always fine, but right oh, when yeah. the second one was over, I was like out. <laughs> I went and got in the car. I was riding home in, fell asleep right there. I'm like, it's over. Thank God. It was a great weekend, but I need to sleep. Yeah. I don't blame you. After, after this, I think a nap is in your future or an early bedtime. For sure. It, my sleep schedule still messed up now. <laughs> yeah. Now I can't go to sleep at night because I slept in so late. Right. So, right. But it, uh, it was all worth it. It was just cool. uh, a great experience overall. And, you know, for my first race and you know, winning another late model race, I couldn't ask for much more. And, you know, thanks to everybody, my supporters, and you know, getting a lot of backing on it. So hopefully, it opened everybody's eyes to to what we got in store. Yep, life of a racer sure opened up my eyes. I'm sure it opened up uh, a lot of other people's too. So we mentioned Trip Bruce a couple times. He's been pretty instrumental in in helping this deal come together. I know he had a relationship in the past with your dad, Scott, who we'll talk about here in a little bit, but. To give the people some background on you, besides the fact that you've ran in late models, which we'll also get to here in a little bit, how did this deal with Halmar Friesen Racing in the first place come together? I know that you've been wanting to get more NASCAR National Series starts under your belt. Why did it happen now here with HFR? Pretty funny how that happened. Um, we were racing at Hickory. I think it was about a month, month ago. They had twin races that night, and uh, we showed up and it was right before qualifying i think and um and trip walked up i've never met trip before and uh, he came up he was with his son and his wife and everybody's whole family they were just there to watch because you know hickory is is right there at charlotte so uh, in statesville area so he just came over to watch and you know enjoy a nice saturday night of racing and uh, him and dad got to talking then we ended up in one second race and uh yeah that was a really good night for us still to this day and uh trip came over in victory lane and said you know he talked to dad and me he said we're gonna get in touch. We need to, we need to work something out. You know, this kid's got some talent. So uh, it just all snowballed into you know getting the opportunity and talking with Stewart and, and Hallmar and everybody. And uh, you know, when we had that so secure, it's a lot easier to to go to my you know Perrier and, and Infinity you know to go to them and say what we're gonna do. And you know, they, they were lucky enough to to jump on board. And I think fortunate enough for them that they're glad that they were. So um, just right place, right time. That's that's how that's how the sport is. And that's what it was built on. It's just getting the right opportunity at the right time. And uh, I know my dad getting his, getting his career and the way he did it was the same kind of way. And funny enough, we actually talked about dad's first truck race was at IRP. That's right. In 99. So 98, I think, I yeah. 98 or 99, a couple years before I was even born. And uh, we looked at the stats, you know, I started 23rd and finished seventh. He, uh, he started seventh and finished 19th. So it was, it was almost a flip flop. So it was pretty. Um, it was pretty cool to see that, and you know, I think he was glad to be back at the track and you know, talking and get back in touch with old old friends. So um, great experience overall. Couldn't couldn't ask for more. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I had that in my notes too. I think that's a really cool and honestly kind of just happenstance full circle moment, right? Scott's first race at IRP, your first race at IRP. Kind of like the Riggs movement is keeping going all these years later, two or so decades plus, and there you are, a Riggs running up front at IRP. It's like something's never changed, right? Yep, that's right. No, the funny thing is we talked about it. His second race was Richmond, and it, they weren't back-to-back either. It was, um, I think it was like two months between the races wow. back then. So it, it just happened to be Richmond, and I think he finished 23rd, he said. So I got to go beat that again. I got to gotcha. finish better than 23rd. Just to 22nd or bus, course. baby. Just put it in the That's top right. 22. That's all you need. That's right. If we're not, if we're not running top 22, we got to bring it in. That's <laughs> it's, right. It's not worth it. So it's uh, really cool that you know, I'm bringing another, another generation of rigs through, through the rankings. And you know, I just really hope it could all work out. And you know, it's been my dream to, to run in the truck series in the top three tiers of NASCAR. And you know, really seeing it this weekend, you know, I felt like I believe. And I feel like that's that's somewhere that I want to be the rest of my life. Definitely. So I mentioned the late models. That's obviously where you have cut your teeth, where you continue to cut your teeth, where a lot of people have recognized you, your name, your talent, your skill set. Um, I know that you were running on the Cars Tour, but you wound up choosing to go the weekly series route instead and run for the national championship that NASCAR Roots puts on with advanced auto parts. Can you talk me through the decision-making process there? And I know that NASCAR obviously is on your radar as a future prospect, right? But in the here and the now, why'd you opt to forego the cars tour for now and, and go for that weekly series championship? Again, it was one of those unplanned things. It just kind of happened. Um, 
funny enough, this was the season with that we said, you know what, we're not going to run all the races. We're going to run maybe 10 races this year. We're going to go to the lake and the beach and we're going to relax and have off weekends. And, you know, we'll go run a couple cars races. We'll go run at South Boston. Maybe we'll go, you know, run at the minion a race or two just to, just to go racing. And, uh, we showed up at South Boston and won the first five in a row. We're leading the national standings by hundreds of points. We're like, well, we got to go for it now. We got to run for a national championship. Yeah. So, uh, just one of those things that you don't really plan for it, but when it all works out, you got to go for it in the end. So, uh, just having that points lead early and just, I talked to past champions, you know, me, dad, and talked to, um, you know, Lee Poyams, another person that's been really pushing me. And I talked to Josh Berry a lot about it. And, uh, the way they put it, they said, you'd be stupid not to try for a national championship with the, with the league you have so early and success you have so early. So, um, you know, been leaning on them some for advice as well. You know, they, they're really pushing me and, uh, they want me to do well. So, you know, very thankful for that and their, their advice and support. But, um, yeah, just, got the 13 national uh, national points wins so far. So I uh, just got to keep going, get to that 18 magic 18 number. And I think we got six more weeks to do it. So uh, really excited. And I hope it all works out for the good. Yeah. You've been racking up, not even just wins, but you're, you're finishing well too. So, I mean, I think you made the right decision overall time will tell. Right. But I also read an article saying that, and your, your comments here has kind of confirmed that NASCAR and the national series that's your main goal, right? Racing on Sundays and before that in the truck and in the Xfinity car, hopefully one day as well. You know, running for the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series Championship, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that gives you a bit more visibility NASCAR-wise. Not that the Cars Tour doesn't, but this having the opportunity to maybe uh, get in front of some people, whether it be owners, media members, sponsors that you wouldn't originally have the chance to do on a different type of tour, be on the late model scene, that was also a, a contributing factor to making this decision as well, right? To get that more NASCAR visibility. Yep, you hit the head right on the nail. It's uh, it was it was right. You thinking the same way we did. It's just you know, if I'm going to get to NASCAR, I need to be running NASCAR, and uh, you know, I need to have my name as a part of that. And you know, at the end of the season, if we get this championship, you know, I'll be at the NASCAR banquet with all the other you know, the Cup and Xfinity drivers, and yep. I'll be right there in the mix of it. So. Just get my foot in the door, being a part of the exact sport and, and um, series that we're going to be running in is helps a lot. And, you know, I learned in the Cars Tour, the Cars Tour is a great series, super competitive, gets great coverage. You know, it's something that, you know, a lot of young drivers need to go towards because winning a Cars Tour race is one of the hardest things you can do in, in motorsports, it seems like. It's a super competitive series. And, you know, a lot of the people that did make it, like, you know, Corey Hyman, you know, Christian Eckes and people like that and Sam Mayer that made it, they, uh, they all cut their teeth with me in the Cars Tour. So, yep. uh, but yes, being in NASCAR, being uh, the NASCAR national champion, you know, it'd be hard for a sponsor in, a, in an agreement to say no. You know, I can, I can say if I win the championship, you know, I'm the best short track racer in the country, you know, quote unquote. And uh, I, I deserve to be at that next level. And, uh, you know, I think getting that would really get me a lot of publicity. Go ahead and get me in the exact sport and, the, you know, national um entitlement is what i need so just looking forward to getting that and got to keep sweating and getting them wins to get it right you mentioned josh barry you talked with him lee pulliam chatted with him as well i think peyton sellers was also one of the main guys that you kind of talked about in terms of running up by them what they thought about you running for the national championship on the local level and they all told you that it made sense to do so uh a i would assume that when three legends of late model short track racing like that tell you to do something, it's hard to go against that. And B, the relationship that you've built with them over the last several years, obviously on track and off track, that has to be a pretty big thing for you as well to to not just have those guys' opinions and, and forethought to lean on, but also they'll shoot you straight on the racetrack too, and I'm sure they have a time or two. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think me, me, Josh, and Lee racing against each other in the Cars Tour. You know, I didn't realize a couple of years ago how special that was, but they'd be right there beating the bang and putting donuts on each other and, you know, professional enough to get out of the car and shake hands and give a hug and say, you know, good race. Uh, that's what made me the driver I am today. So, um, you know, thankful to them and their advice. It's pretty cool. The first, the last person I spoke to before I got in the truck for the race was Josh Berry. He was there and uh, wow. he told me good luck, gave me some tips about, you know, aero stuff that I've never had to deal with. And, uh, he said he was rooting for me, so pretty cool to see my once rival now pulling for me. Cliche question, and I know you kind of touched on it, but 
What do you think winning that uh, weekly championship, and I'm not putting the cart before the horse, this is an if, but if you were to do that, what do you think that would mean to you professionally and personally? Well, what we talked about is, you know, it's not something you can ever take away from me. It's, I'll always be the, the 2022 you know, NASCAR weekly champion. And uh, I think looking at the stats, I'd be the youngest one to do it if I did so. So, uh, you know, looking at, I think Lee was, Lee Poyan was the youngest and uh, he was a couple years older than me when he did it. So, you know, pretty cool and something that I can always look back at for the rest of my life and, and say we did it. Think about all the long hours that we sweat to, and tears and blood and all to get to it. So, uh, you know, it'd be great for me in my career. And like I said, it's something you can't ever take away. I always have my, my name on that big trophy. So Josh was telling you some things about aero, and I'm sure that you've never really had to worry too much about that racing on the tracks that you race on and the cars that you do. And it's kind of funny that you still have to worry about that in a truck on a short track. That's neither here nor there. But adjusting to NASCAR and full fendered, full bodied, heavy stock cars or trucks in this case, I feel like that's got to be a, a pretty sizable shift in how you approach the corner, how you adjust on the vehicle, the feedback that you give, the competitors that you're racing around and you're racing against. What was or what has the transition been like from late models to the truck series or stock cars so far? I know you only got one race under your belt, but it's a pretty good litmus test to, to figure out what you need and what you don't. Yeah, it was a, it was a big adjustment for me, but at the same time, you know, we, we had to worry about aero for one, which, you know, you didn't really see until the race started, but, uh, just running on a radial tire and I've been used to bias plies my whole career and run on Hoosiers and, and McCreary's and such. And, uh, now I'm running on a, uh, a radial Goodyear, So it's a lot different. And, uh, I got a lot of feedback, you know, I got to run on the simulator and, uh, the Toyota racing simulator and got to do a little bit of testing and, you know, got a lot of advice from dad about a radio and how I need to treat it and you know, from trip, obviously. But, um, but no, I, I feel like it was a, it was a challenge for sure, but uh, I adjusted quickly and just talking about the weekend as a whole, I, I thought I was going to be really nervous, uh, unsure of what was going to happen, but uh, just with everybody and having good people around me, I felt very, very comfortable at, at, at the racetrack. I felt comfortable behind the wheel. Uh, we were coming to the green, green, white checkered restart running in the top five. And uh, my heart, my heartbeat was probably under a hundred. So wow. it, uh, it was great how how calm I was. And, and that, again, that just makes me feel like, you know, I do deserve to be there. And I, I feel like I'm, you know, ready for that next challenge of, of going to a mile and a half in a Daytona. And uh, I think with me adapting so quick that I'll be able to do so in other places as well. Where do you think that calmness comes from? Is it is it from your dad? Is it just from knowing that you've been in a position similar to this on the late model side? Is it? just the confidence that you have in yourself, a combination of all those things? I think it's a combination of all those things. I, we were talking about it, and I couldn't really figure it out myself. Uh, we were talking about it after the Dominion race. I said I felt more nervous in the late model at Dominion uh, <laughs> on the last restart than at the truck, which didn't make any sense. But uh, I don't know. It just I felt like I was in, at home. Everything felt comfortable to me. They gave me a good piece. I knew I had a good truck. And uh, at the same time, you know, I feel like – the people in the series, you know, have a lot more respect than late model racers, and uh, you can race wheel to wheel with them, and, and know you're probably going to come out on the other end on the good. Versus in late model, it's you know a little bit more questionable at times who you're racing with, but uh, just really good, you know, racing with a lot of veterans and people that I watch on TV being right there with them racing against them, it was amazing, and uh, I don't know, just felt like I was at home. Well, that's interesting you say that because a lot of people might hear that and say, I completely disagree. And I'm sure that you've seen some truck series races this year and last. I mean, for all your Matt Craftons and Johnny Sauters and Ben Rhodes, kind of the veterans of the series, you have your younger, inexperienced drivers that, you know, a lot of people will put the label on them and saying that they don't have respect for what's going on around them. They don't have respect for the vehicles. But what you just said is the complete opposite of that. So you feel like the truck series actually has more respect than what you see on the late model ranks? Well, it, it depends on who you're running with. I think at the same time, IRP was a little bit different. I can't, I can't give a full-on description of what I thought just sure. from one race. Um, I talked to a lot of people before the race, other competitors, and uh, they all said, this is going to be a wreck fest. It's going to be worse than Martinsville. And I think everybody just had that so engraved in their head that it was going to be so rough that everybody drove a little extra cleaner just because of it. So, And uh, you know, it surprised me a little bit, too, at the same time. But... Um, I don't know. I think that, like I said, I think that was the main thing. Everybody thought that it was going to be so rough that they drove a little extra clean. So right. I don't know if that's going to carry over to Richmond as much. I hope it does. It was <laughs> it was enjoyable to be able to race with people and uh, barely even have a scratch in a truck at the end of the race. So um, refreshing and and nice to know that you know you could race with somebody wheel to wheel and, 
probably not just get absolutely taken out in the in that corner, which sadly I did see it in front of me. Just yes. I guess it wasn't me that was a part of it, but uh, just just hope that it um hope that doesn't happen to me next race. I was going to say, refreshing for the first, I don't know, 98% of the race, and then you saw some of the truck series shenanigans kind of go on towards the end of the green-white checkered. So you know that that's coming, right? But still, it's never good to see that happen in front of you. I guess it's good to see that happen in front of you when you get the spots, but always kind of unnerving too. Yeah, for sure. It's it, I mean, You never want to see um, wrecked race cars or race trucks yeah. uh, as a driver. You know, as a fan, you know, Fans like C-Rex, but, you know, none of the competitors do. And, you know, you hate to wish bad luck on anybody because, you you know, karma's, karma's you know, what everybody says it is. What <laughs> bad luck on somebody always comes back to you the next weekend. So, um, you know, I hated to see trucks get tore up. I thought it would, I thought it was a pretty clean race overall to the end. Just yeah. Until some desperation came in and you know, people wanted to really win that race. But um, at the same time, I'm just happy that I was even close enough to the front to be able to see it happen. So you mentioned you had some time in the Toyota TRD simulator. Uh, I don't know if you had been on anything like that before or if a lot of your counterparts on the late model side have done something like that before. What was that experience like being able to, to run a very expensive and very intuitive piece of machinery like that? It must have been interesting. It was. Uh, I knew it was going to be very different. You know, I, I play I racing like everybody else, get on there and play around and wreck cars on purpose, and uh, that's always fun. But then here, you know, I got in there, I'm like, man, this is a really cool game. And they're like, no, this is business. Uh, you know, you <laughs> got in there, you put your suit on, you put your helmet on, you wow. were fully strapped in, belts on like a race car, and uh, full-on cockpit. Uh, so it was really interesting what it was and uh, really cool. The, the bad thing is – and I don't know if it was bad or good, but the, um, you know, we haven't ran at IRP in so long. It was before last time the truck series or any NASCAR ran at IRP was before simulators were even invented. Right. So, um, there was no track map for the place. The, um, the scan, there was no laser scan and, uh, it really threw people for a loop. And I know that Toyota has the best simulation out of all the manufacturers and, uh, Toyota didn't even have it figured out or had their mm. correct track map. So, uh, I just knew if I didn't get the the experience on the simulator, none of my competitors were either. Everybody was going in blind. So I think that if anything, that gave me the upper hand. But, um, you know, I'm looking forward. I get back on the simulator this week and next week before the race for Richmond. And uh, from what I've heard, Richmond is one of the best maps and uh, best tracks for the simulation program. So uh, I know that Kyle Bush has talked good about Richmond on the simulator. And you know how Kyle is uh, very – very picky about what he wants. And, mm-hmm. and when he says it's pretty good, then it's 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 pretty accurate. So uh, <laughs> I'm excited to get on there. I think I get to do it on Wednesday. So I'm looking forward to it. So you mentioned uh, the simulator was used. You used iRacing when you weren't wrecking yourself on purpose. I'm sure you leaned on Stuart. I'm sure you leaned on your dad. I'm sure you leaned on Tr- uh, Trip. Anybody else that kind of had a hand in making this debut so successful for you? I think just everybody behind me, the fans, family, Everybody was very supportive, even other competitors, like I was saying. So, um, at the same time, I went in there, and the best to do things is just to not think about it, just go off your things. So, uh, I just went in there, did what I always do, drove the car, feedback, you know, said what my butt told me. You know, it all in, ended up working out in the end, and that just shows that I think I have what it takes to, to be there and, and be a professional race car driver couple more for you here, uh, Lane, and I'll let you run and get some sleep, get a nap in if you can. Uh, obviously, people may recognize the last name, Riggs. You are a second-generation racer. Your dad, Scott, raced in the Cup Series for a while. I always remember that number 10 Valvoline car. For some reason, that's the one that sticks out in my head, but I know behind you, you got the uh, Stanley stand-up right there. Yep. So he obviously had a long tenure in NASCAR. He knows what the hell he's talking about. Um, I'm just curious, like any memories you have of going to the racetrack with your dad when he was running in the cup series, that obviously was a different time mechanically engineering wise back in the cup series, but also that was kind of in its heyday or towards the end of the heyday in the mid to late 2000s. So I'm just curious your memories of, of your time at the racetrack with your dad. And I know you were way younger too, cause you're younger than me. So you probably were, were uh, in a different headspace back then too. Yeah, for sure. It was, um, we always talked about it. It was kind of a blessing, but it hurt me at the same time as I wasn't interested in racing until he got out of it. Um, I know that, you know, as a kid, I, w- I grew up around the racetrack. That's just where I was. And as a kid, I thought, well, heck, well, everybody's dad must race then. My dad races. Everybody's dad races. You know, I thought it was totally normal. So, you know, what what's interesting about that as a kid when, you know, I feel like everybody does it. 
Um, so it was um, different for me. You know, luckily when I got into racing, he was getting out. So he, he's been in every single one of my races ever. Uh, he's wow. you know, been my crew chief and never missed a single race. You know, my grandpa, this is actually the first race that he's never been to, uh, except for one when he had his heart attack a couple years ago. So it's just, you know, him having my family there and, you know, being there with me was great. You know, I know a lot of these kids I grew up with that, you know, their dads still race like, you know, Todd Gilliland and people like that. Their dad was still racing when they were running a late model. And uh, all they could do was give them a call after the race to tell them how it went. They weren't there being supportive and, you know, being to actually be there at the track with their, with their kids. So, you know, thankful that they were there, but honestly don't have a lot of big memories growing up. You know, it was kind of before I started remembering things or, or really cared at all. But uh, I do remember a little bit about uh, getting to go on stage for driver intros, walking across that and think it was pretty cool. And I know sitting on the grid and he always just let me sit in his, sit in his seat and, and, you know, play with the big steering. I thought it was normal. And it was something every kid got to do. So um, yeah. looking back, it was really special. Was there any particular reason? I mean, looking back on it now that you're, you know, older, you can kind of understand things. What was the reason that you got into racing once he got out of it? Was there any particular reason why? Just my age, my timing. Uh, I turned 10 the first time I drove a race car, and that was, I think, his last race was just a little bit after that. So uh, just the age I was getting to, I was becoming of age, becoming a racer. And uh, he was able to also fully put his focus on me and being the next driver coming up, he could really help me out and get me to the racetrack. Probably wouldn't have been able to do it at such a young age if he was still racing himself. So uh, just coincidental in age of time. I also read that you, uh, along with your racing that you do every single week, you're also a mechanical engineering student at UNC Charlotte, huh? You must be a pretty busy guy during the week. I am very busy guy, especially, uh, especially when school starts back. Thank the Lord I've been out of school for a couple months now getting Oof. to work on these cars, but... Uh, yeah, I'm doing engineering mechanically at, uh, at Charlotte, getting to do the motorsports program, and yeah, it's a great program to get to, you know, my senior year. Don't, i got to do my core classes right now, my maths and my engineering classes and such, but uh, senior year, I think the senior design project for a, a motorsports engineer is to work, I think, build a legend car. So uh, I could do that with my eyes closed. So pretty <laughs> cool that you know, I could do that and get a degree for it and, uh, you know, be right there at Race the City at the same time. Was uh, going to school and getting, uh, you know, higher education degree, was that ever a decision to, you know, be, yes, I'm going to do that, or no, I don't need to do that, I'll focus on racing, or was that always going to be something that you wanted to pursue? You know, even if the driving doesn't work out, which, you know, it's all about the money, it's about sponsorships, about getting that right opportunity, it's never guaranteed tomorrow. So, you know, again, getting that degree, you know, once I get my diploma, you can never take that from me, I'll always be a mechanical engineering student, so... Uh, it's just something I know that I'll always have a job or somewhere to work, even if the racing doesn't work out. You know, right now my goal is to be like Ryan Newman was. He was a mechanical engineer, but uh, he raced his entire career. Mm -hmm. I, you know, he of course he used it at the race shop, but he never had a mechanically engineering job. So, uh, you know, always know that I'm going to have something to do and never have to worry about my future. Yeah, I mean, kind of cliche to say, right? But knowing what goes into making a race truck or race car go fast it helps you as a driver behind the wheel too. I mean, not, you won't necessarily theoretically have a job being a mechanical engineer for a race team, but to understand how that stuff works, to understand the inner workings of how the race truck or the race car operates, I feel like that probably will and, and would give you an upper hand, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, me in the past couple of years, when I first started racing, you know, I, I kind of put pressure on dad and let him, you know, he had the experience, he knew what he was doing and I just sat back and drove. But now... The past two or three years, I've been fully involved in the setup and in the shop work. You know, I know on my late model, I know every single nut and bolt on the car, and I know every adjustment, what it does, and uh, you know what it does on the scales and the pull down rig and all that stuff. So, uh, just knowing that, and you know, when I on the late model, when I come in, I come in from practice. You know, I don't say it's a little tight. You know, free it up, Dad. I say we need to change this spring, or we need to move this track bar, or we need to change this wedge bolt, and it's something that. You know, I, at the same time, you know, I'm not the crew chief. I make crew chief calls behind the wheel of the car. And I feel like that's really good for me because it takes pressure off him. And also me and him can work together as crew chief driver to almost be two crew chiefs trying to come up with an idea. What's it like having your dad as your crew chief? Good and bad. They're <laughs> father, son, you know, nothing's ever smooth with father, son sure. uh, relationships. We bicker sometimes, but you know, in the end, he, I know that he would do anything in the world for me and, you know, having him there at the racetrack, you know, it's, it's tough because 
you know, he's got to wear the dad hat sometimes. Sometimes he's got to be you know, the crew chief and, and kind of hard ass guy. It's mm-hmm. it's tough to to deal with. So just having to you know have that mixture. And, you know, it, it's same, it's good for me being a family organization thing, but at the same time, it was really refreshing for me to go work with Trip. You know, I've never worked with a different crew chief before, so I went in there. I was very pure with everything I did. It wasn't any. Well, this week we tried this, and last year we tried that. It didn't work. It was I was very open to new changes, yeah. and uh, really put my faith into my crew chief. I just told him what the car was doing, and uh, I put my faith in him to get it right, and, and he did. So, you know, a little bit less pressure on me, and I felt like I could really focus my driving this past weekend in the truck. Yeah, I mean, you said you started racing when you were ten. Uh, your dad's been with you every step of the way. Don't know if he's crew chief to every race, but he's been in every race. So, I mean, you've been doing that for at or almost 10 years now. I think you guys got a good thing going. So the father-son relationship, driver-crew chief relationship, you guys must be doing something right. So I, I think I'll just leave you to be. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're uh, working our tails off down here at the shop. You know, yeah. Our race shop's right behind our house. So uh, you know, working long nights and really understanding everything and just you know, sweating and, and cussing each other out at the same time. You know, It's it's something I never would trade for the world. I know when we grow up, uh, I'll look back at it and know that you know, I, I you know took every second for granted in this time. So. Yeah. Uh, just great to you know, have a good relationship with him and be with him every day. But sometimes I just wish I could have a day off. <laughs> I just wanted to <laughs> want to take a break from him sometimes. But uh, that's just that's just how it is. And I wouldn't wouldn't want anything else. I hear you. All right. So Richmond coming up here in a couple weeks next year. Do we have anything set in stone or anything that you're kind of shooting for? Obviously, probably a full time truck series deal or maybe even moonlighting in the Xfinity series is on your radar. Do you have anything that you're gunning for specifically for 2023? A full-time ride in the top three tiers would be amazing in my goal for sure. Um, I feel like getting my feet wet this year with these two races, getting seen, it's going to be a lot easier for me to get sponsorship opportunities to want to pursue a full-time ride next year. If I could get a national championship and have two strong truck races, uh, it'd be a lot easier to get sponsors to want to, you know, put their, put their funds up for me in the future. So, um, just trying to get all the publicity I can, meet as many people as I can, shake as many hands, trying to make as many relationships as I can for next year. And uh, the better I do now, the better chance I got to be in really good equipment next year and uh, you know, just looking forward to my future. All right. So, Richmond, are we shooting for a top 22? Are we shooting for a top five? What's realistic here? We're shooting for a win. We're going to, go, <laughs> we're going to win Richmond. That's just how it's going to happen. Uh, no, it's I, I want to win every race I'm in. And uh, I think – you know, finishing seventh in my first race. Well, your goal's got to be higher than that next That's time. Right. So. And we're back. Lane was saying there at the end before he got cut off because his phone died. He emailed me right after. He said, sorry, my phone died. Do you want to hop on and finish it? And I was like, nah, it's all good. I knew where you were going. Look, got a top seven. So obviously you want to finish better than that, which would be a top six. At that rate, you might as well just shoot for a top five. And at that rate, you might as well just shoot for a win if we're being honest. So he has set his sights high for Richmond in a couple weeks. And between you and I, Lane, we, we know that a top 22 is all that we're really shooting for just so you can beat old Scott in the second race in his truck series career. But in all seriousness, man, I appreciate your time, Lane. Thank you to him. Thank you to Chad O'Fire of Hallmark Friesen Racing for helping coordinate that conversation. And we'll be watching the rest of the year, not only at Richmond in a couple weeks, but on the short track scene as well to see if Lane can bring home that championship that would be pretty pretty big and i'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more from him in the future on the nascar side too got to chat briefly about the indianapolis motor speedway road course that we saw this past weekend xfinity series had a really solid race a clean gentlemanly race aj allmendinger comes home with the win there his ninth win in the xfinity series on a road course most all time, that man just keeps on trucking and keeps on putting those wins on the board. He got close on Sunday, but heat exhaustion did him in towards the end. And speaking of the end, I mean, let's just talk about it, right? Not the best showcase of the 40 best stock car drivers in the world, but at the same time, I fall somewhere in the middle. You know, some people say this is an embarrassment. These drivers should know better, show more respect. Some people say, well, NASCAR is putting them in a box, right? They're putting them on a track going into a specific corner that is not designed for them to have success, to showcase the best of their abilities. I understand both sides. You know, the respect that we've seen or the lack thereof in the truck series, I don't think it's that level in the cup series. But at the same time, when you have people absolutely just sending it on in there into turn one 
which is the usual turn four at the IMS Oval. Five, six, seven wide, breaking so late, not even trying to make the corner. You had your Ross Chastain's using the access road, which is a whole other conversation in and of itself. You had Joey Logano absolutely dive bombing it in there. And again, to both of their credit, right? They're doing what they think they have to do to put themselves in the best position to succeed. I understand that. But at the same time, when you have the elephant in the room of the IMS Oval just sitting there idly by, and the unknown of the next-gen car and how it would or will perform on the IMS Oval, you can't help but daydream and say, what if, what if this race goes back to the Oval and the Brickyard 400 is restored to prominence and glory? Now, I am Team Brickyard 400. I'm all for it because even if the race itself is not that good, I think that the name itself, the track itself, the prestige itself, and how these drivers, these crew chiefs, these teams, how high of regard they hold this race and this racetrack in, that speaks for itself. Just because the Daytona 500, if it ever is one year, a snoozer, that doesn't mean that it's any less of an achievement to win the Daytona 500. It's still the Daytona 500. The same goes for the Coke 600 when Martin Truex Jr. stunk up the show a couple years ago and led all but, what, six laps? Same thing goes for the Southern 500, right? It doesn't necessarily matter if the race itself is a stinker. It matters what people think about the race itself. And I understand that in the past, right, the Brickyard 400 and the totality of it over a handful of years, a decade and a half plus, it was not that great. I understand. I think a change was warranted. But sometimes you make a change for the sake of making a change. Sometimes you make a change because you think one is necessary. I think that this one was necessary. It was a bit of an experiment, right? We tried it out. This is the second year. Roger Penske said that they're going to go back there for the third year. I'm not totally against it, but I think it's time that we start thinking towards the future and say, all right, how about we go one year off, one year on the oval and road course? How about let's try the next-gen car on the oval, see how it works, and then we'll pivot from there as need be. Because look, I don't think that the IMS Oval is going to produce the greatest racing that we've ever seen in the history of the sport, but that's not what we need, right? We need history, tradition, prestige. We don't need what we saw towards the latter stages on Sunday on the road course, which is buffoonery, clownery. Is that a word? I don't know. You get my point, right? So I think that a change needs to be made. I respect the decision that they're not going to make it next year, potentially 2024. I think that would be a good move, but the IMS road course for me, just not really doing it. And I do think that NASCAR has a place at IMS, and I will disagree with one of my colleagues, Jeff Gluck, and say that if you're not going to run it on the oval, go somewhere else. Because I do think if you're going to run it on the road course, that's still okay. But when you have the oval just staring at you in the face and laughing at you when you're making fools of yourselves down in turn one and spinning and running off track and wrecking each other, it's, it's just not a great look. Let me tell you something that was a good look. Holy bejesus. IRP. God love you. I have never been to that racetrack, but it has shot to the top of the list for me. It might be P1 for short tracks that I haven't been to that I want to go to. What an insane race that we had there. What an insane race that we had there. We had trucks three, four, five wide on short tracks that, yes, were beaten and banging, but doing so with ample room, ample racing lanes. They weren't just sending it on in there and hoping that it sticks, unless you were John Hunter Nemechek towards the end. That racing, for the most part, was phenomenal. The vibe, from television at least, phenomenal. The turnout, phenomenal. How do you not love what you saw on Friday night at IRP? If you do, or if you don't, if you don't, sorry to say, I just don't think you're a race fan. Sorry, I just don't. And I've been a proponent for a long time of bringing the truck series back to its roots. Before I was even old enough to speak, right, of going to short tracks on the West Coast, in the Midwest, in the Southeast, you can still go to Daytona, Las Vegas, Michigan, all these random tracks that the Cup and the Xfinity Series go to as well because I understand that those have a presence on the schedule. But go back to the roots, 
Go to IRP. Go to Five Flags. Go to all these short tracks and racetracks across the country that do not have the infrastructure for a Cup Series race, but definitely 100,000% are capable of hosting a Truck Series race. And look, I understand that money is a real thing and finances are a problem to go to these standalone short tracks that don't have sanctioning fees and aren't owned by NASCAR or, or SMI. I get that. But sometimes you just got to eat it. And I'm really good at spending other people's money. I know a lot of people are too. I don't know if this is something realistically. I don't know if this is something that realistically can happen, but damn it, I wanted to. So I'm going to manifest until it does. IRP was phenomenal. Grant Enfinger getting the win in a crazy, crazy finish in overtime. And, you know, it wasn't super clean, but the race was clean up until then. And we just heard Lane talk about it too. He had an incredible race as well. So it just, the truck series at IRP gave me the warm, fuzzy feeling that a lot of people have been lacking when it comes to the truck series lately. And I think that IRP absolutely encapsulates everything that the truck series can and should be moving forward. That'll wrap things up for episode 158 of Victory Lane 2.0 Party People. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, big thank you to Lane Riggs for the time. Thank you to Chad O'Fire of HFR for helping coordinate. And a big thanks to you for tuning in this week. If you like what you heard here today with Lane, with Papa Siegel, Mama Siegel, with my rant about the truck series that I had like two notes on but turned into a bit of a rant, uh, leave me a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're available on all podcast platforms and players, Apple, Google, SoundCloud. You know where to find us by now. And if you don't, drop me a line and I will try to rectify that issue for you. We got Michigan International Speedway on the docket this weekend. How about my boy Mel Tucker, Tom Izzo, and Josh Balicki partnering for Spire Motorsports this weekend? I am going to buy the you-know-what out of every single shirt, hat, Diecast, whatever merchandise they sell, I'ma buy it because I have been waiting so long for this collab to happen. And finally, it is. I'm just so sad I'm not gonna be there to witness it. So Josh, Mel, Coach, Izzo, Josh, Coach Tucker, Coach Izzo, please hold down the fort for me. Give a good command, boys, and rep the green and white proudly up there. I know former guest on the show, Jeff Striegel, is probably going to be chatting with him too. I'm so jealous of that. But Michigan State and NASCAR, the collab that I've been waiting for, it's finally happening, and I'm so, so happy about that. We'll be back next week with another guest from the world of NASCAR, and we'll be back to recap Michigan as well as the regular season rolls on. Hope everybody had a good week. Hope everybody has a good upcoming week. Thanks for tuning in, party people. Be good.